uh, from the Bible's New Testament, and we're talking about teach us to pray. This is a question that, that uh, Jesus was asked, um, and so it's good to look at that. Now, uh, just for those of you who, who maybe um, you're actually reading these passages, and you notice that there are some different things in the way the Lord's Prayer is written uh, between Matthew and Luke. Uh, and sometimes it's good to talk about these things. Um, I will be doing this more in depth at Easter when we start our Easter series. But if you actually read uh, the Gospels and you read Matthew and you read Mark and you read Luke and you read John, you kind of scratch your head because you say, well, it looks like sometimes they're all four of them are talking about the same event or the same thing. And yet there are discrepancies. Sometimes they look like full-blown contradictions between the four writers. Have you ever noticed this? You say, well, how many people were at that tomb anyway? And well, what was the Lord's Prayer anyway? Because it looks a little different in Matthew uh, than it looks in Luke. And, you know, what's up with that? Like, is there a contradiction? Is there a problem here? Isn't this the inspired Word of God that we're supposed to be reading? Uh, indeed it is. Uh, but you have to recognize the Gospels for what they are. Uh, the Gospels are people who saw, who witnessed the events in question, and who wrote them down. And when you have that, you better have discrepancies. You better have things that look like contradictions, because if you don't, you likely are dealing with a fabrication. Anytime you have three, four, or more people, even two people who describe the same event, you are going to have a var various things, various problems there. You say, well, what really happened? Did it happen this way or did it happen this way? There's two different versions of the story. And you can see this in daily life, sometimes seconds after an event takes place. I could remember a very dramatic event that, uh, that happened very, very close to me when I was uh, working downtown uh, at Evangel downtown. And I can remember when um, Kim Veer Gill went into, into Dawson College and, and, you know, shot 19 people, I think it was, killing one of them. Within, within minutes after that event, there were so many versions of what happened. There were so many descriptions and all the people saw the event in question. But there are all kinds of angles and all kinds of discrepancies uh, that sometimes last right up till now. And people say, well, no, it happened this way. No, it happened this way. And this is exactly what we see in the Gospels. So don't let these things uh, trip you up or let you lose confidence. In fact, they should make your confidence grow uh, in, in the Gospel record. Uh, you need to be seeing these discrepancies Otherwise, you're likely dealing with people who said, well, let's invent a story and we'll all say the same thing and it'll make it more credible. No, it makes it more incredible when it all says the same thing. So anyway, from Matthew 6 and Luke 11, last week we learned the lesson of persistence, of perseverance in prayer. Did any of you watch the football game? Remember I told you to watch a certain you know, what's, what's come a, become a real cultural event and observe, I see a couple of guys smiling and wagging their heads like this. Yeah, just like me, as it was happening, I was wagging my head saying, I told you so, I told you so. Now, I predicted the Patriots would win by four points. They won by 10 points. I was off by six. 
All right, so that's not too, too bad. I think if I were a betting man, I would have made a whole lot of money and, you know, quit the church and just went to Florida to live forever, right? So nobody predicted it would be such a low-scoring game. I did not tell you what the score would be, remember? Uh, But we learned a little lesson last week about praying with persistence. Um, in in uh, Luke's version of this, ask, seek, knock, right? You don't, you don't knock on a door and walk away from the door. You ask, you seek, you knock, you persist, you persevere in prayer. Jesus assumes when he's teaching on prayer that people actually pray, you know? He says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. And we looked at the, 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 this whole question of the Patriots and the Rams, now history, and of course, the famous picture of uh, Tom Brady from the year 2000. This is uh, the combine that he participated in where he was viewed as a mediocre uh, prospect, and of course, he changed everything with his persistence. So we looked at the story of the persistent widow, a little story that Jesus told about a widow who demanded justice from an unjust judge, and she kept going after that judge, and she persevered, and she persisted, and finally, she just wore out the judge with all of her persistence. And so Jesus says, well, that's an unjust judge. Imagine what God will do if you persist and you persevere in prayer to God. Very different story there. Um, So today I want to get into lesson two, and I want to teach you predominantly how you should not pray. (laughs) Because Jesus does that. It's quite interesting, uh, especially in Matthew's gospel, and this is... um, This is buried in the Sermon on the Mount, the very famous and longest message that we have recorded for us that Jesus gave. And it's interesting when he starts talking about prayer, the first thing that he does before he gets to the famous Lord's Prayer is to tell us how we should not pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, just surveying the verses there, and when you pray, do not... Be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Again, do not pray this way, do not pray that way. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get into uh, in the weeks ahead. So what he's talking about is problems. If you'll back up a little bit, you're too fast for me, David. He's talking about problems with the way that people are praying. And he's making an observation here about two things that he sees in the sort of prayer culture, if you will, uh, at the time and the way people pray. And he's commenting on them and he's making very strong comments on them, very direct um, and he's saying, well, you get some real problems. There are people who pray this way, and it's an ineffective way of praying. And there are people who pray that way, and it's an ineffective way of praying. He's talking about motives, and he's talking about method. Fast forward to, to today into the modern era. You know, the way that we do things, 
there's an old saying that if you, if, you, if you keep doing something the same way over and over and over again and you expect something to change, that that's called insanity, right? So if you keep on, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm living this way, or I'm doing something a certain way, and nothing is really changing, but I'll just continue to do it that way, and maybe somehow it'll change. Maybe somehow I'll get results, right? And th this is not, that doesn't really work. It's sort, of, it's sort of like, well, you keep trying that. It's probably not going to work. Perhaps you need to change the way that you're doing something. And Jesus applies this to, to prayer. Um, I put something on our Facebook page this week. Do you know Thomas Edison? Do you know that name? Even some of you, some of you Gen Zers, Thomas Edison, so this is the guy who marketed the light bulb, which we're, which we're sitting under, okay? He's the one who was able to package that and to mass market that technology, which we still use today, even though we've changed, you know, to LED and all of that. It's still the same kind of principle. Well, do you know how many times Edison tried to make that work? I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of failed experiments. And there's one story that he actually burned his, burned his house down and he's watching the thing go up in flames and, and people said, wow, you know, you, you failed. You know, he said, no, I didn't fail. I just found another way that it won't work, right? I just found another, well, it won't work that way. Need to try another way. And he said, I haven't failed. I just found 10,000 ways that it won't work. So what is the way that it will work? And what if that applies to even something like prayer? Man, is there a way not to pray? Well, according to Jesus, there's a way not to pray. So there's a, there's a story a couple of weeks ago, I think three weeks ago, maybe a bit longer, that, that went viral, uh, in, started in China, but it went viral internationally. And I uh, put the picture on the screen there, David. And this is a story that came out of, out of communist China, of course. And you got a 40-year-old elementary school principal who um, has changed the program of calisthenics in his elementary school. So I want you to, to take a look at this video. And for the Facebook people, we, we have a microphone on, so hopefully you can hear it as well, although it's, some of it's in Mandarin or Cantonese. Okay, try and read the bottom subtitles underneath. It's very interesting what this man did to the calisthenics program in that elementary school and what the results were. Okay, go ahead. I hope you're able to read that. The video is quite soft. So you see the change in the, in the children. And you see their, their vote was, was for the shuffle dance, which is from the West, you know, rather than the typical calisthenics program that they had no interest in. And so he's pushing this, this principle. He's pushing the envelope a little bit there because, again, that's communist China. Like, it's, you're, you're, you're pushing it a little, but he decided to push it uh, because of the, the effect that it had on the kids. The point is, he changed the way of doing something. The video, there's a 10-second clip that got 7 million views in China in one day. And so it was like, wow, this is really, really big news uh, over there. 
but I think he's, he's on to something, and sometimes it's just the way that you do something that makes all of the difference. And here Jesus is saying, listen, you, you, when you pray, don't pray this way, and don't pray this way, and he calls it out. So how specifically does he do it? Well, first of all, he's going to talk about this first group of people. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. The, the word that he's using there, uh, or at least the Greek word that's used, it's a word for actor. Back then in the Greco-Roman world, you had these, um, you, you could walk around in the streets uh, after, after the Greeks were in charge, then the Romans were in charge, but the Greek culture still remained there. And you would have these characters in the streets who would act out these kinds of maybe dramas or comedies or whatever right there in the streets. And they would wear these masks for different emotions, okay? And, and so if they were sad, they'd put a sad face on and they would act it that way. And if they were happy, they'd put a happy face on and they would act that way. And so this is the word that was used for those people. And this is the word that Jesus uh, is using, at least the Greek version is here in Matthew. So do not be like the actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. He would be referring to Jewish people there, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men, right? So what they want, their motive, is to be seen by other people. That's their motive. So be clear, he's not saying that praying publicly is bad. He's saying that praying with motive to be seen by people is bad. Now, do you think that happens today? It happens all the time where people, you know, of various religions, they're praying and they may be praying very fervently, but they're praying with a very clear motive to be observed and seen by people. And why would they do that? Why would they want people to see them pray? What do you think? It's a smaller group today. What do you think? What would be the reason? I mean, some people are terrified of praying in public, but these people apparently not terrified at all. They wanted more and more people to see them in public. Why? What would the people say? Yes. Think they're smart. Yeah, well, think, wow, they're very pious, very religious, very intelligent. Wow, would you just look at that person pray? My goodness, they're a very godly person, right? So, so the view is, hey, I'll, I'll, I will impress other people by my prayer. Look. And so Jesus says, look, they have received their reward in full. So they have people saying, to this, saying about them, wow, this person's a real prayer warrior, right? In churches, sometimes we use that term. And some people in churches even, they want to be known as a prayer warrior. So they're, they're always looking for the microphone. They're always looking for a way to pray so that they develop a reputation in the church. Well, so-and-so is a real prayer warrior. That's a, like for Jesus, he's saying, well, they've already got their reward in full, haven't they? So they've got people talking about them. They have, they've put out an impression. This is what they want. They've received their reward in full. But here's the correction. When you pray, again, assuming we actually pray, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
So the antidote for this kind of attitude is to pray with no one seeing and to have a motivation to want God's attention rather than man's attention. So it's all about the motive. Whose attention do we want when we pray? Do we want the attention of people or do we want the attention of God? And this is the illustration he's using. You go into your room, you pray, you close the door, you pray to your father who's unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret, right? So other people don't see what we do in secret, but God does. So you know your motive is right when you want to attract God's attention when you pray. He will reward you. So bad motive to want to pray for the attention and the glory of men. It will only go as far as you getting the glory of men. You're not going to get God's attention that way. There's a side uh, uh, view on this that comes out of, out of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And you will find when you read James, uh, you'll find that a lot of what he says looks a lot like what Jesus says, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, James, in the book of James, he talks about bad motives in prayer as well. And he says, when you ask in prayer, you do not receive. So a person's praying, but they're not receiving what they ask for. And he says, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So for James, there's a bad motive as well. It's the motive of selfishness and materialism. So God, I pray to win the Powerball. <laughs> I pray to win the 649 and the Powerball right? And so that's a prayer that God is not inclined to answer with a yes. Even if you throw in the, and I'll even tithe on whatever I win. <laughs> God, I pray to win that Powerball. I'll even tithe it to my church, right? I still don't think that God is inclined to answer that prayer with a yes, because the primary motivation is to spend what you get on your pleasures. And this is not according to, to God, a motive that really is impressive to him. Uh, so motives are very important when we pray. And if we have motives that are selfish, motives that are looking for the praise of men, well, we shouldn't be too surprised if we feel frustrated when we are praying. So do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the actors, he says. And James says, do not pray with wrong motives. All right. So Jesus continues. And he says in verse 7, and when you pray, again, assuming that we pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Wow, is that ever strong? For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not keep babbling like pagans. So it's interesting, the word that's used for babbling there is a Greek word that we have no idea what it means. Uh, it's as if the writer there was taking a word that Jesus said. Jesus may have said it in Aramaic, and Matthew wrote it down in Greek, which is a common language back then. But the word that he writes down, nobody knows what it means. It's like, uh, it's like saying blah, 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 blah. 
<laughs> and he kind of invents a word. We don't see it used anywhere else. We just see Matthew drops this word in. In some translations in the English, is babbling. In other translations, vain repetition. But it's like Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't keep blah, 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 blahing like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, this is really, really interesting. Because sometimes when people pray, even in, even in a, a, you know, a Christian context or back then a Jewish context, they want the, the, to use the very flowery and, and very precise language as if the language is somehow going to get God's attention. And sometimes, in, at least in North America, if we, if we pray and we pray Allah King James, that will maybe get God's attention. So, Lord, thou hast seen the need of thine people. And, Lord, we ask that, that, that thou movest by the hand of thy Holy Ghost. In the, you know what I mean? And, if we, and then you talk to the person and they don't speak King James English. They only pray King James English. As if somehow, well, the King James English is really going to get God's attention. But I can't talk to God just the way that I talk to anybody else. I have to dress up my language in order to get God's attention. Or I have to use many, 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 many words to describe the same thing many, many, many times over to get God's attention as if it's some kind of a magic prayer. Uh, back then in, in the, Roman, the Roman system and the way that the Romans prayed and the way the Greco, whole Greco-Roman pantheon, they actually thought that there was a kind of a magical power, at least in some of those views, to the prayer itself. And Jesus may be commenting on this when he says, don't keep on blah, 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 blahing like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. It could be that. Um, we have an interesting example way, way, way back in the Old Testament uh, of this kind of thing. And you see it, this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 26 to 29. You know the story of the big challenge on Mount, Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah. Do you remember the story? And Elijah, I've talked about this in, in recent days or recent months here. Elijah, he sets up a, a challenge, right? And, and he says, look, we're going we're gonna to see which God is the real God. Uh, enough of this, uh, you know, meandering between two, two views. We're going to have a showdown here and we're going to see whose God is the real God. Maybe it's Baal. Uh, but I don't think it is. And what he does is he sets up a whole, a whole showdown. And remember, he pours, he pours water on the, on the they, they set up this animal sacrifice, it pours water on it, and he does all these things, and he makes it impossible for, for God to respond and, you know, fire to come down, and that's, that's his criterion. The God who answers by fire, he's, he's God, and the people should follow this God, right? So it's either Baal or it's Yahweh, and he sets up this whole challenge. And do you remember what the, the people who worship Baal do? They, go, they, they have a kind of, a, of like a prayer thing, meeting, and they do all kinds of things to try and get Baal to, to answer by fire. Do you remember? 
So they, they, they chant over and over again. They, they prophesy frantically. They do all kinds of things. They start cutting themselves uh, to try and get the attention of this, of this deity, and nothing happens. They go on and on and on, blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of blah, blah. And nothing happens, right? And you remember, Elijah taunts them, and he says, well, where's your, where's your God anyway? Perhaps he's sleeping. Maybe he's sending a text message. Maybe, he, right, he kind of taunts the, them, and they go on and on and on and on, more and more and more. They're playing right into his trap, right? And then, and then Elijah prays a real, real simple prayer, and the fire comes down, and it, there's water all over his sacrifice. doesn't matter. It burns up the whole thing, and it's like, oh, wow. I mean, it's pretty obvious whose God is God. But you have there an example of the blah, 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 like it's just babble to try and get God's attention. Can I just tell you, like, the way that you, the way that you pray and the way that you call out to God, you have to be sincere in what, in what you're doing. You think you're going to impress God with your language. He's not impressed with your language, right? He's impressed with your, with your heart, He's not impressed with your language. You can, you can pray and your language can be all messed up. It can be grammatically incorrect. It can, be, it can sound like it's from the street. I mean, you, 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 it, as long as it's something that's coming from the heart, you have the attention of the heart of God, you see. And there is a difference between this kind of vain repetition and this babble, and this blah, 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 and perseverance. There's a difference between the two. Remember, last week we talked about perseverance. When you ask, you seek, you knock. Jesus is talking here about a kind of a vain repetition, where you think that, again, by using this flowery language and using this kind of nonsense, that you're going to somehow get the attention of God. Now, the, the correction is, is fascinating. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our father. We'll just stop there. So I want you to, to observe something with me that probably you haven't, you haven't uh, thought about or seen before. If you look at, this, at this, just this section that we've read, and you note the number of times that Jesus refers to God as Father. Do you see it there? So uh, in verse uh, 6, uh, close the door, pray to your Father. Uh, then your Father who sees what is unseen. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need when you ask Him. This then is how you should pray, our Father. Can you think of places in the entire 39 books of the Old Testament as we have it today, where anyone prayed to God as Father. Can you think of any where anyone specifically prayed to God as Father or our Father or my Father, but use that term? Can you think of any? Even, I've even got my wife stumped at the back. Any place in the entire 39 books of the Hebrew canon of Scripture where anyone prayed to God as Father? And the answer is you will not find one, not a specific prayer that way. You will see a few times 
where the fatherhood of God is referred to. You will see that a few times, but it's somewhat rare. Happens about 15 times where God is referred to with these kind of paternal characteristics and he's a father to the nation perhaps. But you will not see a specific prayer where someone is calling out to God this way using this term, father, this very personal and relational term. So this prayer that Jesus is saying here and this section of scripture would have definitely got some eyebrows raised because of the personal uh, um, uh, fabric of how he's referring to God there. It's very, it wouldn't be totally unheard of at the time, but it certainly would have raised the eyebrows of people because again, we don't have any example in the Old Testament of anyone specifically praying to God this way. Again, the way that we pray. Jesus is a bit like that, that elementary school <laughs> teacher, you know. He, he's kind of doing the shuffle dance <laughs> with prayer rather than the standard, you know, status quo. He's kind of changing things a little bit there. And uh, so it would have raised some eyebrows. But look what he says and think about it. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now think about that for a moment. So when you, when you come to God and you pray, it's not as if God is going, oh, thank you for telling me that. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know you had that struggle. I really didn't know you needed that. I didn't know you had that problem. I didn't know that you were really concerned about that or really joyful about that. Boy, thank you for telling me that that was totally not on my radar, you know. I was doing other things. I was busy running the universe, and you've just kind of taken me by surprise with this request. Thank you. So noted. You know, this is, this is Jesus is saying, duh. When you come to God, he already knows what you need before you ask him. So this begs the question, why ask him? If he knows what you need before you ask, shouldn't you just wait for him to give it to you? Why should you ask? Any ideas? No wrong answers? To show your faith? Yeah, yeah. And who, who benefits from, from you showing faith? Does God benefit or do you benefit? You do. You do. So, so the reason why you're, God wants you to show him that what you need in this context, you know, you know, he knows what you need. So presumably you're going to him with something you need. The reason why is not to benefit him. Like you're not going to make God's day better <laughs> as if he needs you to make his day better. What happens is it's you start to grow personally in your relationship with him. This is why he's using this term father. This is a relational term. He's not using uh, the equivalent of Elohim. He's not using the equivalent of Adonai or some of these words in the Old Testament, these Hebrew words to describe God. He's using a very personal term, Father. In the New Testament, you see Paul pick up on this, and he uses the Aramaic term Abba. Some say this very personal term, like sort of the modern equivalent in the English of Daddy. 
So this it's very personal. It's not just, well, you know, God is here and I'm here and, you know, we're, it's very distant. No, this is very, very personal. And the one who benefits is you because you ask. It's you because you persevere, because you seek, because you knock. You are benefiting because you're growing in your walk, your relationship with your father. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And of course, he starts the prayer with our father. A couple of things there. Um, Do you relate to God this way? Some people have a really hard time relating to God as father. Do you know why? Any ideas? Yeah, because maybe they grew up without one or maybe they grew up with one, but he was really like really difficult, difficult person to live with, to live under, right? And so calling out to God and recognizing God in a personal term of endearment like father is really, really hard for some people. But this is what Jesus has in mind here. That again, you're calling out to your father. Your father is not taken by surprise by your request. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So what? He wants a relationship. He wants communion with you. Sometimes, my friends, we're so concerned about the request itself. How am I going to somehow persuade God to say yes to to this request you know how am I going to get his attention how am I going to twist his arm behind his his back to get his attention I remember a, a story the name of the gentleman escapes me I have to look it up I'm just just popping to my head now uh, he was a great and I think still speaks to to youth as a particular calling to speak to to uh, young people and uh, he, he served in, um, in Vietnam. And in the Vietnam War, this man had a, a very, very uh, serious uh, accident, if you want to call it that, and a bomb exploded uh, right in front of him. And it basically left him not dead, but his face is horribly disfigured. And uh, like it looks really, really bad. And he, he recovered from it. He was engaged at the time. His, his wife uh, saw him. Dave Reaver, that's his name, just popped into my head. R-O-E-V-E-R. Uh, you, can, you can look it up, Google it online. Dave Reaver, tremendous testimony. R-O-E-V-E-R. And um, I, if I, memory serves me correctly, his fiance would not stay with him because his face was so horribly disfigured. And um, he wanted God to, to heal him because he was suffering so badly with this, with this problem. And, uh, and he, he went into a church and he said, and he, he prayed and he said, I'm going to stay in this church. I'm going to sit here until you heal, you heal me. <laughs> Very stubborn. He said, I'm going to stay here until I'm healed. So you know, that's perseverance for sure. That's pretty good. But he wasn't healed. And he, thought, he said he thought about it and he sat there for hours on end. And he said, well, what, what was I going to do to persuade God? What was I going to do, kidnap his mother? Like, 
How was I going to get God's attention to make him heal me? And he came to the conclusion that God would not heal him and would not, you know, supernaturally heal his face or maybe he'd run into someone who'd give him a transplant or something. They do that nowadays, but back then they didn't. And so what he did was he used his, his disfigurement to speak to young people. And he's a tremendous communicator, and he would speak to young people, and he would, he would even have them come and touch his face. And he would say to young people, some of you, the way my face is is the way your heart is inside. That's the way that you feel about yourself. It's, yeah, it, come and touch my face, and he would let young people do this. Tremendous, tremendous communicator. Dave Reaver, I believe he's still living today. Um, but again, trying to persuade God, trying to, like, it doesn't take God by surprise, what he wants, first and foremost, is communion with him. It's not so much about what you're praying for, but how are you doing that? Because when you find the way to pray, you will find your walk with God is fruitful. You may not always get what you want. You may not always get what you pray for. You may not always get a bunch of yeses to all your prayer requests, but your faith grows, you see because you're growing in your communion with our Father. Notice also our. This is a community kind of thing that he's saying. He's not saying my Father in heaven. He's saying this is how yous should pray. This is how you all should pray. And he's saying community and the fatherhood of God, these are very, very uh, powerful, powerful things. Um, I can remember... Um, uh, uh, couple of experiences that I've had, and we can, we can finish with this. Um, I remember when I was working years ago in the, in the marketplace, I was an, a very, very new Christian at the time, and uh, was out in the marketplace full-time, and I remember this, this Muslim uh, uh, gentleman who worked with us in this particular company. It was a little company that made blueprints. I think I was making $4.35 an hour. Okay, just to give you an idea of the date, right? It's long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, but anyway, I remember this Muslim gentleman who, who uh, was working there, and he did deliveries, and he was in his car all day. And I remember he would, he would come into the back. We had this back area, this, this place where everybody ate lunch, you know. And he would come, and he would, he would uh, pray. He would face what he thought was, was uh, Mecca, and he, would, and he would pray because that's what, you know, that's one of the things that they're supposed to do. And he would bow down and he would put his head on the, on the you know, and you, you've seen that before. And he would do that. And he, it's the same prayer every single time. And, you know, people would watch him and they'd say, like, why, why is he doing that? Is he doing that because he wants us to see? Is he doing that because he wants his God to see? Like, why is he doing that? And he says the same thing every single time. And as soon as he's finished, he would, you know, mingle with everybody else. And his, you know, his mouth was, was very colorful and his, his language was colorful. And it, it was like he was a totally different person when he, finished, when he finished praying. And people were always left scratching their heads, you know, and they were all non-Christian people. They're all left scratching their head saying, like, why does he even do it? Because it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem very sincere. It seems very robotic, Seems like he's just going through the motion. I remember I heard another story of a, of a, a, a person who was praying, and it happened to be the same religious view there. And the, the, the man would actually record it. So, so instead of, and you're not supposed to do this, uh, but anyway, he recorded it. And instead of having to actually pray, he would just press the play button. 
So he would, he would lie down in his bed. He said, okay, time to pray. So he just pressed the button, you know, so, so that would work, and he would, it would be fulfilling his thing in his, in his view. Okay, this is a little bit, a little bit. The sentiment is a little bit what Jesus is trying to teach here. Your, your motives, uh, the way that you're doing it, sometimes that makes a huge, huge difference. So rather than jump to the, our Father who art in heaven, aha, uh-huh, we've got it, that's the way we should pray. If we pray that way all the time, God will answer. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. What's your motive and what's the way that you're, the way that you're doing it? All right, next week we will start to get into the very famous Lord's Prayer. It is not what you think it is, um, and we'll, we'll get into it and start picking it apart uh, in the week.